right. Well, good morning. You know what? It's, we did pretty good today. I expected there to be about 10 of us since it's opening weekend of deer hunting. So I know there's some hunting widows that are here um, and maybe even some hunting widowers. Who knows? You know, it could be. But anyway, glad you're here. Would you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2 with me, please? I want to start at verse 41 and go through the end of the chapter. And I just would invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is the Word of God, and it reads this. Acts 2, 41 says, So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come recognizing that you are holy God. Recognizing that you are just, that you are righteous, And at the same time, Father, you have demonstrated your love, your mercy, and your grace at the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for our sins and rising again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. Thank you, Lord, that you are at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come into this place, into our hearts, and to guide us into your word. That you would have free reign, that we would be yielded, that we would be surrendered, that we would be willing to hear what you say to us through your word this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 41 is a very interesting verse to me. We've said it before that... 3,000 souls were saved in one day. And we've talked about the fact that that is nearly half of the population of the city of Madras. That's pretty amazing. 3,000 souls in one day. Now, Scripture doesn't say this, but as a leader in the church, I imagine the apostles gathering together after 3,000 souls were baptized, which probably took a while, And they pulled together and they're like, come here, come here. And they probably got the women to come and marry the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And they just said, now what? (laughs) There's 3,000 people over there. Now what do we do? Scripture doesn't say it, but I would imagine that that was kind of the case. That would be my thinking. If I were all of a sudden confronted with 3,000 people who came to know Christ as their Savior and were baptized, I'd be going, now what? I've got some ideas of what needs to take place, but 
what should we do now? See, we said last week as we looked at the first 41 verses of Acts chapter 2, we said that it was the Holy Spirit's power who launched the, that Christ church into existence. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that came down upon the apostles and the other 120 folks that were with them. And, and, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to have this miraculous thing of speaking in tongues where they spoke in their native language and every other person who was outside their native language heard them speaking in their own native language. And there are 15 different places that are mentioned here, which probably means there were at least 15 different languages in that place and so as I would speak in English they would hear them in their own language it would be an amazing amazing thing see when the Holy Spirit moves in power it's a miraculous thing but that also caused bewilderment amazement the people scripture says were amazed they were astonished at what was going on they were bewildered and even perplexed by what this is and they even asked what does this mean and so the, when the Holy Spirit moves, we talked about it last week, there is this amazement, this astonishment that takes place. And we also said when the Holy Spirit moves, Jesus is exalted, church. Jesus is exalted. See, Peter gets up to preach. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to this crowd that has gathered and he tells them all about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And at the end he says, this one whom you crucified is now both Lord. And he is exalted over everything. He exalts Jesus Christ. And those people that were there were convicted of sin. They repent. And oh, about 3,000 souls put their trust in Jesus Christ in that one day. That's a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. We said by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ's church was launched. But we also, at the end of our time last week, said by the power of the Holy Spirit, He still moves the church. The church is still moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I invited you here today, last week. You guys remember that? I know it's been a whole week and you've slept several times since then and it's easy to forget, but I think I harped on it pretty good last week. And I forgot that today was deer hunting, so I don't know if we should excuse those that are out deer hunting or not. Kidding. But here's the deal. I want to share with you how the Holy Spirit is still moving at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Are you ready for that? I am, I am so thrilled because just as on the day of Pentecost there was this astonishment, I am astonished. And I am excited to share this with you. I want to share with you several different things that are going on that I say reveals that the Holy Spirit is at work. That the power of God is on the move at Cornerstone Baptist. And I hope that you'll get excited with me. But listen, I, I, I see Commander Dave over here. Who, who is the commander of our Awana program. And you need to know that before Awana started this fall, what, two Wednesdays ago, Dave <laughs> was beside himself. Dave was going, oh my goodness, we don't have enough leaders. At that time, I think he was saying, it looks like we only have 10. And, and that's nowhere near enough leaders to start this thing. And he was even wondering if we should even have an Awana program this year due to lack of leadership. So I remember being at a prayer time. Dave called people together to pray, which was awesome. And we prayed and we talked and we asked the Lord. And, and the conclusion was this. Let's trust the Lord. 
whoa, go figure. Let's trust the Lord. And at the end of that night, I saw relief on Dave's face as, as he was there. And everybody was just saying, let's pray. Let's trust the Lord. So a week ago, Wednesday, they started. 50 kids showed up, and you had adequate leadership, right? A week ago yesterday, a good number of leaders in Awana went to a conference, a, a training session. I don't know how many you had last Wednesday night. 14 leaders went to the conference. 48 kids in, on Wednesday night, 10 kids in Cubby. So, so here's, here's what God did. God took a group of people that are going, I don't even know if we can have this thing. He challenged them to trust him. They did. They stepped out in faith, started Awana, and God has been blessing. God is on the move at Cornerstone. Amen? I want to tell you another thing. I don't know if you know it, but there's been a group of people that have been going to East Cascade or Cascade East or whatever it's called, the, the assisted care living. They've been going there at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings to do a little service with those that are gathered there. <laughs> I was so, so amazed when, when Paul came back once and he goes, well, <clears throat> we had two baptisms and a child dedication. And I'm thinking, who there has a child that they dedicated? And how old was that child, you know? But it turned out it was one of the workers that was there that got to hear, gets to hear the service that's going on. I want to tell you, God's at work. The Holy Spirit is moving in that ministry. I want to tell you about, you, you've heard about Cornerstone Kids. You saw the kids released. And I want to tell you, just to sum it up again, you've heard it. But honestly, six months ago, we had no clue what we were going to do for our kids. We were convinced that our priority needs to be teaching our kids the Bible, the Word of God, and about Jesus. It was our conviction that we must do that. How that was going to happen, we had no idea. What we knew was we were pouring a lot of money, a lot of resource in time, and a lot of people into a program that we used to have called Sunday School. And what we were discovering was the effects of that were very limited. We would have one or two kids show up for those classes. And I know some of you are going, yeah, but those one or two kids are worth it. And I say, amen, except this. If we are limited on our resources in the first place, don't we want to seek to use our resources in the wisest way? And so what happened is our Sunday school director at that time, she said, hey, here's what's happening. We have very few kids at Sunday school, and we're pouring all this amount of money and time and energy into Sunday school, but guess where the kids are? They're in the worship service. What if we took the resources that we're pouring in over here and spent it on the on this worship service, and, and we thought that's a great idea, but even then we didn't know what to do with that until a few months later as we started sharing the need Two ladies who would, by their own testimony, tell you they'd never, ever thought they'd be in the position they're in. They said, we'll do it. And Cornerstone Kids was launched. And, and there's a potluck downstairs after church, after this service. And I invite you all to come. And if you didn't bring something, we'll, we'll, I don't know, maybe God will do the five loaves and two fish thing. I don't know. But just come down and enjoy fellowship and enjoy hearing what God is doing. God is on the move at Cornerstone Baptist. Amen? Just think of this. I, I want to share with you uh, a few other things. There's, there's this couple in our church family. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about waiting on the Lord. And as the wife left, she shook my hand, and in tears she goes, 13 years. And I said, what? 13 years. 
She goes, it's been 13 years that my husband and I have been waiting on the Lord to know what he wants us to get involved in. Now, you need to know they've been involved in ministries here and there, but but they've been waiting in this time of waiting. And she goes, guess what's happening? We're going to start a small group. My husband's going to teach a small group once again after 13 years of waiting on the Lord. And she says, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, which some of you ladies are going through at Sisters. And I'm just going, praise the Lord. Here's a couple that's seeking the Lord. They were waiting on the Lord and the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts. And now they are starting a small group of people who are going to talk about experiencing God and study the word of God together. It's an awesome, awesome thing. Think about this. This was so cool and I might get a little choked up because this is awesome. Some of you know that... Because our youth staff, everybody on our youth staff is volunteer, they are limited on their amount of time that they can give toward a, a youth group. And so this year the decision was made that they can't, they can't uh, minister to 6th and 7th graders. And there was this mom who is the mom of a 7th grade boy, and both of them were pretty upset by that news, understandably so. However, here's what happened. As they went through it, this seventh grader came to his mom and said, Mom, since I don't go to youth group anymore, can you and I do a Bible study together? Did you hear that, church? I want to tell you that is better than a zillion youth groups that this guy could go to. His mom is going to get to be in Bible study with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what Deuteronomy 6 calls us to? Praise God! That is so cool. I'm so jazzed about that. Because here, even though we see it as a negative thing, oh, we don't, we're not able to provide this ministry, but here's what God is doing. See, God is at work in the life of Cornerstone. Let me check my notes because I know there's more. There's more. God is moving in the area of prayer. People are burdened for prayer. In fact, if you did not pick up one of these books, they're out on the welcome table out in the back. It's called If My People Pray. It's a prayer guide for our nation especially in these days before the election, I would encourage you to pick one up. And they're very simple. And in a little bit, I'm going to read a little excerpt from this. But very simple, just a daily prayer for you to meditate on and think about and and lift up to the Lord. Prayer is becoming a priority. And you're going to hear this, this, this morning, I believe because of God's movement, because the Holy Spirit is at work in this church family, I believe that there's another issue that He's going to take care of. Finances. I'll just be honest with you, and I'm not asking for your money. I pr- promise you I'm not. I'm just letting you know. Finances in this church is really struggling right now. And what's amazing to me is God is giving vision. The Holy Spirit is at work moving in this church, and we're struggling in our finances. I'll give you two things. Number one, God is not surprised. God is not terrified. It does not cause any fear in God's heart that we're struggling financially. I'm serious. And he has all the resources necessary to fulfill his vision at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And I want to tell you, there's a group of people that have been meeting, a finance committee that have been seeking the Lord for our finances, especially as they've been putting together next year's budget. And they've cut our budget down by quite a bit. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of time and a lot of discussion. But I want you to know that in that God has been moving, dear church. 
This is a good, God is at work. And there's many more things, and I'm going to share one more thing. I'm going to save it to the end when we get there. But I want you to know God is at work. But the question is, what do we do now? We've got, we've got people who are, who are getting these burdens for ministries. We've got things that are happening that are kind of outside the normal box that we've always had. And the question is, what do we do now? What should we do? And I'll give you the very simple answer. We need to make sure that we are a Holy Spirit-driven church. We need to make sure that anything and everything and all things we do at Cornerstone Baptist is driven by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not so old that I can't remember when I was 15. It's been quite a while ago. But when I was 15, I don't know how the rules are. I was thinking about this. I don't know what driver permits are like, and even if they're called driver permits. But when I was 15, you could get your driver permit. And it meant you went to DMV, you took a test, and if you passed the test, you could get this card that said you could drive a vehicle as long as somebody who is 18 or older with a driver's license was with you. And I remember going to the DMV, getting my, my driver permit, and I begged and pleaded and just harassed my mom until she let me drive home from the DMV. I just got my driver's permit. I can drive now with my mom in the car. After all, I thought to myself, you know, I've driven tractors. I've driven trucks on the farm. I know how to drive. Well, this was Salem. And if you know where the DMV was, uh, at least the closest one, was on Lana Avenue. And in order to get home to our house, you had to go on to Silverton. <laughs> and Silverton is a four-lane road. And all of a sudden, I turn onto that road, and all of a sudden, I've got cars beside me. i got these cars coming at me, going this way. i got cars in back of me and in front of me, and I freaked out. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is nothing like being on the farm. I'm in the driver's seat, and I'm freaked out. So guess what my mom's doing? She's incredibly freaked out. And I remember, I remember coming to a yellow light, and I didn't even think about it. But my mom finally yells out, you need to stop! And I put on the brakes and stopped halfway out in the intersection, you know? I had no business driving in Salem, Oregon, on that busy street with just a driver's permit. Church... We have no business driving the church without the Holy Spirit at the driver's wheel. He is the one that must drive the church. Why do I say all that? Because what we have in verses 41 through 47 of Acts chapter 2 is a Holy Spirit-driven church. Why do I say that? Well, the apostles in chapter 2 and verse 4, it says they were spirit filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that the apostles and the other, other people who made up the 120 that were praying in the upper room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, when he preaches to the crowd, he promises them that if they would repent and if they were baptized, they would too receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's a Spirit-filled congregation. They were led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in the driver's seat of this church. And we have this incredible, incredible description of what that looked like. So here's our point this morning. As I mentioned, there are those women and now a small group that's about ready to go through experiencing God together. 
And, and, and I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I personally have not, although Mona challenged me the other day. I need to because from what I'm looking at and reading about it, it's amazing. But one of the quotes that Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, says that is kind of the basis for the whole thing is this. Watch to see where God is working and join Him in His work. Watch to see where God is working and join Him in His work. Dear church, that's being Spirit-driven. See, it's not me taking the wheel and making the church go this way. It's watching to see where the Lord is at work and joining Him in His work rather than demanding that He bless my work. That's what we're talking about. A Holy Spirit-driven church. So let's ask this question. What does a Holy Spirit-driven church look like? I want to tell you this. A Holy Spirit or a Spirit-driven church is committed to spiritual priorities. Committed to spiritual priorities. The truth is, there are many, 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 many good things that we could do as a church family. I mean, there are incredible things that we could do, good things. Uh, In fact, interestingly enough, I think directed by the Holy Spirit, I received this cartoon this week. Now, I get a weekly cartoon every week just because I signed up for that, and it's it's a cartoon dealing with church stuff, and I'm a pastor, so that interests me. And and I'll tell you what, I've never really used them much. I've filed them away, but it came Tuesday, and I thought, that's it. This is the schedule for community church and their calendar. And it says they are serving this community in every area of need. So daily up there, they provide alternative grade school, nursery school, and child care, free legal counseling, meals on wheels. Their library is open from 9 to 4, and every day they have adult education tutoring. Good stuff. But look at Monday. They have a health and nutrition class. They have aerobics. They have great book discussion. They have do-it-yourself divorce counseling. That's very interesting. And then at 8 is an education committee. On Tuesday, they have Quilting Circle, Boy Scouts, Al-Anon, Basketball, Al-Anon, Basketball League, Camera Club, Local History Seminar. Great stuff. Wednesday, Business Women's Luncheon, A Cherub Choir, Lamaze, Square Dancing, Stamp Collectors Club, Budget Committee. Thursday, Adventures in Cooking, Dieters Club. (laughs) Back to back, of course. Girl Scouts, Pet Care and Grooming, and a White Elephant Swap Club. Friday, they have Senior Citizens Lunch, they have Cub Scouts, they have Central American Coalition, they have Jazzercise, they have a Computer Club. Saturday, they have Sanctuary Jazz Band. Ooh, that's good. They have a Car Wash, they have Gardening Club, they have Smoke Quitters. I'm not sure what that is. They have a game night for all ages. Sunday, they will have a picnic. They have an animal, animal? <laughs> annual golf tournament, a 10-mile hike, single-parent fellowship, church centennial planning committee, and they're just kind of falling off the sheet is, oh yeah, by the way, we do worship. See, all I think this shows us is this. There are many, many good things that we as a church family could do, good things that would help people out emotionally, physically. These are good things. But I want to tell you this, a church that is Holy Spirit driven is a church that's committed first and foremost to the spiritual priorities, committed to the spiritual priorities. 
And what we have here is recorded for us four spiritual priorities that this Holy Spirit-driven church was committed to. And I want us to look at them real brief. First of all, it says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, a Holy Spirit-driven church is committed to the teaching and obeying of God's Word. They were devoted to it. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. Now, you need to understand, this church, the first church that was birthed under the power of the Holy Spirit, is a Jewish church. These were Messianic Jews. Did you know that? These were people in Jerusalem. These were those Jews who heard and they understood what was going on and they confessed and they repented and they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So they understood the importance of the Word of God. They recognized how important the Word of God, they knew after all, that God spoke the universe into its existence. Oh, that's powerful, that's important. They understood how God himself called Abram and said, I want you to go to a land which I will show you. And I'm going to give that land to you. Ellen, by the way, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. That's what I'm going to do. That was an important word from God. They knew that how important God's word was to Moses from that bush that was burning but not yet consumed. How God said to Moses, from that bush, I want you to go and get my people out of Egypt. They understood how important the word of God was on Mount Sinai when God handed down the commandments to his people, the Israelites. They understood how important and powerful the word of God was speaking through the prophets, even though they didn't listen. It was powerful. They recognized how important the word of God. And, and now they understand that the word of God is coming through these apostles, these men who are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ, these men who had served three years with him, watched him, learned from him, heard him teach, saw the miracles, and now they are the ones who are speaking to them the word of God. I want to tell you, they weren't just kind of half-heartedly wanting the Word of God, the Scripture says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't something they took lightly. They understood how important the teaching and the obeying of God's Word is. I put the word obeying there because of this. What did Jesus tell His disciples to do? Go make disciples, right? Go make disciples. But in that, you need to baptize them and then you need to teach them not to just know but teach them to obey all that i've commanded you so god's word cannot be separated from us obeying it so they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching that is the teaching of god's word and the obedience of god's word they were devoted to that that was a spiritual priority that caused them this devotion Secondly, the scripture says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. Now, if you've been in church for any number of years, perhaps you've heard this word, koinonia. There is a small group here at Cornerstone Baptist that meets, and their group name is koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And it literally means to share in or to share with. 
It is a sharing with somebody, uh, or it is a, let me, let me find my notes here. It is to share in someone's, uh, with someone in something, or to give someone a share in something. And the idea is that there's the sharing, as we'll see in this passage, a sharing of material things, but there it goes beyond that. It's, a, it's also a sharing of our hurts and struggles, our longings and our dreams. It's, it's that kind of relationship. It goes even beyond that. It's sharing uh, in service for the Lord Jesus Christ together. We share in that. And it even goes beyond that. Scripture says we share with one another when we confess our sins to one another and we bear one another's burdens. It is this deep thing. Now, we're going to have a potluck today. But that's not fellowship, okay? We get to eat together, and it's a good step towards fellowship, but don't, don't mix a potluck with fellowship. Fellowship is when we go deep with one another, when we share with one another, either materially, emotionally, certainly spiritually. When we get down to the nitty-gritty of our walk with Jesus Christ, that's fellowship. And here's what's cool. That group that, that is called Koinonia that's meeting, you know what they're doing? They're getting together and they're studying, they're looking through Proverbs and they're just using Proverbs as their guideline. They're talking about the Word of God, but they're saying, what do you relate to here? How is God working in this area? It's an incredible way to approach a small group. And that's that idea of fellowship. Let me say this. I, I need to back up for a moment because we're talking about these spiritual priorities and I want to I offer to you a spiritual uh, or an opportunity to get involved in some ways that, that would help you be devoted to these things. So I missed saying when we're talking about the teaching and obeying of God's word, I want you to know there's opportunities for you to be devoted to that here. Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we have two, two adult Bible classes that are meeting. One's over right here, you can see the sign there. One's downstairs in room 101, right? Where's John? He's gone. Okay, 101. Anyway, those are opportunities for you to get into the Word. I can tell you that there is an opportunity for those who would like to be a part of a teaching team, who learn how to study and, and teach God's Word. That starts this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock in room 103 and i invite you to come and who knows who knows how the holy spirit will lead us into this priority this spiritual priority of the word but now we're talking about fellowship and i want you to give you know there's opportunities for that as well there are small groups that are taking place there are uh, men's breakfast. Here's a cool thing, too. The men's breakfast has been meeting for quite a while, and, and I just heard this morning, I didn't hear it from Steve, so maybe it's inaccurate, because you know how you hear from a third person? Maybe Steve can confirm this. 18 guys. 18 guys have been coming Friday morning to men's prayer breakfast. An opportunity not only to get in the Word, which is what they do, but it's also a time for fellowship to to share what's going on in your life how can i pray for you how can i bear your burdens it's that time those opportunities for fellowship so understand fellowship is what they devoted themselves to it was a priority it was a spiritual priority for them we also have fellowship as we as we uh, uh, just participate together in communion which is something we get to do next week together as we as we come together to our family sunday 
So those are just some opportunities. But know that the church who is driven by the Holy Spirit is a church that's committed to spiritual priorities. That of the word, the teaching and obeying of God's word. Secondly, the mutual care, love and care that takes place through fellowship. Thirdly, they, they were devoted also to the breaking of bread. Now much discussion has been on this, this, this term, breaking of bread. Does it just mean eating together? Later on, it certainly does. But here I would say it means much more than that. It really focuses in on that time set aside to remember our Savior's death until He comes. The communion table, the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves to that time. So they devoted themselves to exalting Jesus Christ through communion and further through worship. They gave themselves over to that. They they set aside a time. After all, Jesus said to His apostles... Do this as often you do it in remembrance of me. So this was something they were to carry on. And this this first church, was they were devoted to it. They they went together. They got together to, to participate in communion, which became a time of praise, a time of thanksgiving, a time of rejoicing for the forgiveness of sin that comes through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this became a time of worship, a time of praise, as it says later on down. So they gave themselves over to this priority, the exaltation of Christ through communion and worship. And we have a service that we seek to do that in every Sunday. We have hymn sings. We had one, what was it, a week ago last night, which was great. It was so fun. It was a time of worship as we sat there and we prayed and we sang hymns. And I got to select two of the hymns. Yes, I did. But, but that's an opportunity. And who knows what, how the Holy Spirit will lead us into more of opportunities for this kind of thing to happen, for worship and times of exalting Jesus Christ. And then finally, notice what it says. They also devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. Now, once again, notice some translations will emphasize the prayers which gives us an understanding that it was a time set aside for corporate praying. See, as as a Jewish nation, they were used to having a time set aside for the prayers. They would get together on a consistent basis to pray to God. But now it takes a different twist because now that those prayers continue to happen. They continue to be corporately, but now they're in the name of Jesus Christ. Now they become focused on Jesus, and Jesus himself taught his apostles how to pray. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, and so on and so forth. See, so now they're devoting themselves to prayer. I want to read something, and again, coming from this, and I encourage you to pick one of these up and be praying. But I... I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want you to be mad at me. But I really believe it, so I'm going to say it. So if you're mad at me, you get to practice some mercy and grace, okay? But we all, I think, would say in this place, prayer is important. I think each and every one of us would agree with that statement. But I doubt that each and every one of us really believe it. And why do I say that? Because you have to ask yourself, how often do I pray? If I believe prayer is important, then guess what? It's going to be important. 
And when there is an opportunity to pray, especially corporately, which is what this passage is speaking about, I'm going to make every possibility to get there. Because prayer is important. We say we believe it, but we don't, dear church. Listen to what this says, these, these, these prayer guides, just by way of introduction of prayer. I want you to hear this because I think this is right on. Since our nation's very first days, God's greatest movements in our midst have been fashioned and sustained by prayer. From the signing of our earliest documents to our triumphs over days of darkness to the spiritual awakenings that have sustained our faith and resolve over the centuries. Throughout Scripture and throughout our history as a nation, persistent, prevailing, intentional, and never-ending prayer has always brought the presence of God. Then he goes on and says, how vast are the possibilities when we pray. Prayer is a wonderful power placed by the Almighty God into the hands of his saints. And then listen to this statement. It goes with what Henry Blackaby says. Look for what God is doing and join him in his work. He goes on and he says, when we humbly seek his face in prayer, he is moved to act on our behalf and accomplish his desires for us. When we pray. Now, again, we say we believe it, but do our actions really show that we believe it? And, dear church, I'm not only stepping on your toes, I'm stepping on mine very hard right now. Bob and I were talking about it just this morning. Prayer is something to be devoted to. We say it's important, but I think too often we really don't believe it. Because we don't act on it. We have opportunities for prayer here. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings in my office. Tuesday evenings at 6 in the library. Fridays at 2 p.m. at Patty Zachary's house. And you're all invited to those times. And who knows what the Holy Spirit's going to do in leading us to more opportunities to pray together. I don't know, but let's wait and see. This is going to be fun. See, we know that a, driven, a, a spirit-driven church is committed to spiritual priorities. And the four we're talking about today is the teaching and obey, obeying of God's Word. is the mutual love and care through fellowship. We need to be devoted to the, the uh, exalting of Jesus Christ through communion and worship and devoted to the magnitude of prayer. That's a spirit-driven church. But here, let me say a few things as we close. Number one, notice it's a commitment. They devoted themselves to these things. i got to be honest with you. I think in the culture in which we live, our devotion is weak at best. And not just to church things, to anything We're devoted to something in our culture as long as it meets our need. And as soon as it stops meeting our need, we're gone. I go to Salem and I hear about people that go to this church and they're devoted there for just a little while and then as soon as something bigger and better comes along, they zip over to the next church. And then something bigger and better comes and they go to the next church. Where's the devotion? Where's the commitment? See, these people were devoted. They were committed to these things. And you need to understand, it was a lasting commitment. 
It wasn't something they were committed to for 48 hours and then they were on to the next thing. The word here, devoted, means an ongoing dedication to. They were, it was a lasting commitment. But also you need to know it was a time commitment. Whoa, wait, Jeff, now you're really stepping on toes, right? You know that we're Americans. We don't have any time for anything, especially church things. Okay, I think we need to take a look at our priorities. See, because they dedicated themselves. And you notice the scripture says, day by day. Dear church, they didn't just get together once a week. And they didn't just get together for an hour and 15 minutes. They got together daily. Daily they were in the temple courts hearing the apostles' teaching. Daily they were in one another's homes breaking bread together. Daily they were giving themselves over to the prayers and worship. Daily. See, their commitment was a time commitment. It meant that each and every day I was ready to be devoted to these things. And we say, I will be devoted to an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday unless it's deer season. Oops, don't... Can you take that out of that recording, please? Thank you. I'm just joking. I understand. There's times we need to be gone, but I'm just trying to make a point here, dear church. How churches, we're devoted to it as long as it doesn't interfere with anything else. See, this was a time commitment. It was a lasting commitment. It was a time commitment. And you also need to understand, it was a sacrificial commitment. They devoted themselves to the fellowship so much that they sold their belongings. Now listen, dear church, this is a description, not a prescription. I do not believe God is asking you to sell your possessions. I mean, he might be asking you, but he's not asking me. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm not saying that this is his command for us to go and sell all your possessions, but what I am saying is they were sacrificial in their commitment. They were willing to sell their possessions for the good of the other person in that church. They were so committed to fellowship that they sacrificed their own stuff. And we say, no way. No way. I'll give you this as long as it doesn't interfere with what I really want. See, this was a sacrificial commitment. This is a commitment. It's something they were devoted to. And I would submit to you that a Holy Spirit-driven church is committed to these things. Not just half-heartedly, not just as our culture says commitment, but wholeheartedly, a sacrifice of our time and our talent. Anyway, I'll get off of that. But here it is. We need to be a Holy Spirit-driven church. And the way we do that is we commit ourselves to these spiritual priorities. The Word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. The Word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. Again, the Word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. These are the four spiritual priorities that we see here today. Those are the four spiritual priorities we must be committed to. Before we end our time, I want to give you a few things, okay? I know I said that already before, so you've, I've just lost you. Okay, those of you that are taking the teaching class beginning Tuesday night, I just showed you what not to do, okay? Don't do that. But here's the deal. 
this devotion, this commitment, you need to understand it's a commitment to priorities, not programs. Okay? These are priorities. These are Holy Spirit priorities. We must be somehow connected to the Word and in fellowship and in worship and in prayer. Those are priorities, not programs. See, what happens is we think programs are as big as a priority. Programs are just plans that God uses to help us get to those priorities. The program can be here today and gone tomorrow. True. But the priority remains God's Word fellowship, worship, prayer. Those are the priorities. How do we do those things? Through some programs. But those programs work for a while and then they don't work for a while. That's the way it's been throughout all history in the church. You look at the way we worship today and the way they worshiped 100 years ago, totally different. But do we still worship? Yeah. So let's not confuse these for programs. These are spiritual priorities how the programs are going to work how they're going to help us move what they look like that's the fun part see the holy spirit's driving not me i can't tell you exactly what they look like i couldn't tell you what cornerstone kids was going to look like but the holy spirit drove and guess what we have something that's forming and it's not without wrinkles and things that need to be worked out but guess what if he's the one that's bringing that into existence he's the one that's going to fix the wrinkles See, so dear church, we need to be Holy Spirit driven, not our own plan driven. And so we need to be devoted to these priorities and let him work out the plan. Let me just read to you another Blackaby quote. He says, God is not glorified by making our plans succeed. He receives glory when his will is done in his way. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Then he goes on. Listen to this. This this is powerful. What a difference it would make if we obeyed Christ as the head of the body. He could accomplish more in six months through a people yielded to him than we could do in 60 years without him. And too many churches, including I believe this one, and I love this church, so don't hear anything negative there, but too many churches try to do it without him. That old question has been asked. If God were to remove His Holy Spirit from His church today, would we even notice? If we're Holy Spirit driven, absolutely we would notice. We would go, oh my goodness, where'd the power go? Oh my goodness, who's driving? Nobody's in the steering wheel, at the steering wheel. What are we going to do? See, what... What, what Blackaby is saying is, let's yield ourselves over to his plan. We're committed to the priorities. What are the priorities? The word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. Those are the priorities. We're committed to the priorities. How we get there, let's let the Holy Spirit drive. Yeah. Let's look for how he's working. I want to give you one more example, and then I promise you I will close. I've said that too many times. Another thing that has happened where God is at work is in this. Since we don't have that children's Sunday school time at 9 a.m., the elders have been asking, what do we do? What's the 9 a.m. for? Is it just gone? Do we just have adult uh, Bible classes? Do we have something for children? What do we do? We were praying. We were talking about that. In the meantime, two very dear, sweet, wonderful ladies uh, 
prayed about it, and they were burdened. And one of them came and said to me, Pastor, we, we feel like God has really burdened us to be available at 9 a.m. for any kids that are there. We feel like if, if their parents go to one of the adult Bible studies, then we want to be there, we want to take them, and we want to help them learn about Jesus. What do you think? And I honestly, I feel bad for them, and I had to apologize because I was kind of like a deer in headlights. Honestly, I was like, um, that's awesome, but I don't know. <laughs> that's what I was doing. I don't know. I took it back to the elders. The elders are going, well, that's great, but we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what's happening. And so we started praying, and we started talking, and guess what? We started looking at Acts 2.42, and we started talking about those four priorities that are there for the church, and we said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if from 9 to 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, that was dedicated to practicing Acts 2.42? Now, again, it's a priority. It's a purpose. It's not a program. We didn't know what that even looked like, but we said, I think it'd be really cool. What if people during 9 to 10, they were committed to these things, to what are they? The Word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. If they were dedicated to those things during that hour, wouldn't that be really cool? And it might just be a prayer time that goes for the whole hour. Well, that's dedication to prayer. What if it were a time where they just got together, hovered out over here at the coffee area, and they, they had coffee together, but they shared what was going on in their lives? Isn't that fellowship? Wouldn't it be really cool if more Bible studies popped up? They would be dedicated to the apostles' teaching. What if there were those that just wanted to work as the, the worship team does on the worship aspect of things? That'd be cool. It'd be fulfilling the four priorities that are spiritual here right? But we didn't know what that looked like until a week ago last Friday, I received an email. A, young, a, a small group of younger families were just going. They started this year, and they're going, we don't know how this is going to work. Sunday nights are kind of hard because child care, and, and they had this whole list of, of things that were struggles for them to meet on a Sunday evening. And so you finally got to the end of their email, and they said, would the elders be okay if we moved our small group to 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings? <laughs> and I'm going, word, fellowship, worship, prayer, absolutely! It was a no-brainer! And we got child care already and going in that already. Isn't it amazing? See, that's what I'm saying. When the Holy Spirit drives the church, we will be blown away with what he does. We have no idea what he has in store for us, but I can tell you, if we let the Holy Spirit drive our church, we will be so thrilled. We will be so amazed. And what we'll talk about next week is this. If we let the Holy Spirit drive our church, we will have such a huge spiritual impact. And I'm, I mean that. We're going to talk about that next week. Okay? But now I told you I was going to tell you one story and then I'm done, so I need to be done. Let's pray together. Father, I am so thankful.